Welcome to the Weekly Dose of Euphoria podcast. This is Matt Zapala, your host and creator of Euphoria Health and Active Living, your go-to hub for all information on movement, sustainability, and plant-based nutrition. My main goal is to generate happiness, and I couldn't think of a more fitting word to represent my brand than Euphoria. Join me as I dive into raw conversation with qualified professionals, athletes, influential individuals, and many more. It's time now to introduce this week's special guest. This week's episode of the Weekly Dose of Euphoria podcast features international yoga instructor Nick Alisios. This man is one of the coolest operators I've ever had the pleasure of connecting with. His story is so captivating and eye-opening you're in for a treat. Nick has accomplished many amazing things in his life and experienced things we all dream about. He's completed a 60-day silent meditation with the monks in Burma, which is unbelievable in itself. He shares with us his outlook on life and challenges us to think about it differently. I'm so excited to be able to share with you Nick's life experiences and tips on how to connect our bodies and our minds. So sit back and enjoy the show. Welcome, Nick. Good to have you on board, mate. Thanks, buddy. Awesome, guys. Just to paint the picture for you, we're currently sitting in Remedy Yoga Studio at the moment. Such a mindful and um, present space. Thanks again for making some time again, mate. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what was life like growing up for you? Cool. So I grew up in New York, uh, Long Island, Oceanside. Um, Grew up with my mom, um, who comes from uh, Mexico and a younger sister. Uh, I would say my upbringing was pretty uh, free. I had the um, ability to just play for most of my childhood and I wasn't restricted on what I could or couldn't do. My mom really allowed me to just go explore and adventure. Um, And I think the only reason I kept coming back home was uh, I was hungry. And so, (laughs) (laughs) and uh, and so when I reflect back on my childhood, you know, I feel really grateful that I had that type of upbringing where she would always enforce, like, you could be anything you want in this life. Just choose one thing. Yeah. Wow. And I guess that's a dream. Only coming home went to eat. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So you mentioned you were growing up in, in America. When did you decide to come down to Australia? Ah, uh, so that's, that's a bit of a trip. Um, from New York, I actually moved a few times. So spent two years in Florida five years in California, and at the age of 23 is when I decided to embark on a one-way journey to Mexico. Um, And this was more for me to just go on an adventure to discover myself. Um, And that led to five years of traveling around the world, teaching yoga. And uh, I guess how I got to Australia was I was living in Bangkok um, about a year and a half ago, teaching yoga to travel bloggers. And I just kind of got bored of the scene. And I I did a quick Google search on cool places to live. Melbourne showed up. The next day I bought a ticket and made life happen here. Wow, dude, that is such an awesome story. And I guess it can be quite confronting for some people, like just leaving all their belongings at home and and moving to go overseas. So tell us a little bit more about what what that was like for you. Yeah, for sure. I totally understand that process. Um, And I would say, you know, process is a good word. Um, I had a house, I had a car, I had a boat, I was in a relationship. And so I think that paints 
what most people feel is like the ideal lifestyle, right? All of the material things. And so it wasn't easy for me to, to let go of all of those things. So I didn't just let it happen in one go. Um, I had moved out of the house into the boat. And then from there, I started giving away a lot of my material possessions. And I remember the last thing that was the most challenging for me was actually books. I had a box of uh, all these books that I treasured. Uh, and they were shaping my mind as well for travel. And I remember having my big traveling backpack and I would go to the grocery store with it. So I had like training days for myself. <laughs> as if I was already, tra I put myself in that position where I was like, I'm already traveling. You know, even though this is the country that I grew up in, this is the city where I live, it's still an adventure. So yeah. I was already inspiring that within me to get that feeling ready. Um, so I would say like, you know, take little baby steps to declutter your mind, declutter your lifestyle. Um, you don't have to, you know, take a big change because then that's, that's quite frightening, you know? For sure. Yeah. And what life event influenced your decision to move away from home? Uh, so this is actually really powerful. Um, I was working for Deepak Chopra back in the States and I was interacting with a lot of high level thinkers and celebrities. And so I feel very fortunate that I got to just ask them questions on how they got to where they are. And um, they all said the, something similar. They said, I had a dream and I followed that dream and now I am because of that. Wow. Yeah. That's really powerful. And I guess everyone can interpret that themselves, can't they? Right. And so that, that inspired this self-inquiry of like, well, what's my dream? What's, what's the ideas that are flowing through my head, my heart? And um, that led me to focus on some meditation. Love it. We'll dive into a little bit about meditation after. I know you're the meditation king. <laughs> I've had the pleasure of joining in one of your gym classes. It was both grueling and, and awesome at the same time. Nick, tell us what, what is yoga for you and when did your yoga journey begin? Oh, wow. This is, this is an interesting one because like yoga is so subjective. And so if you're asking me what yoga is for me, I tried to think about it in a way where like, how do I communicate it to a child, right? And so I would say everyone, or if you don't know, yoga in Sanskrit is like this union, but then you have to ask yourself, the union of what, right? So what if we understand the word union? It's not enough knowledge. You have awareness, but you also need a knowledge. And so what we can say is that there's this body. We can touch it, we can feel it, so it's a tangible thing. Um, we're well aware of it, but we're not able to touch the mind, right? And so it's this intangible object. And so the yogis have talked uh, through the history about this breath and how it connects the intangible with the tangible. And for me, that is the simplicity of yoga. You have a body, you have a mind, use your breath to connect those things together in order to live in the now. Awesome. Yeah. That's, a, that's an amazing definition there, and I think that's pretty straightforward for everyone to understand. When did your yoga journey begin? My yoga journey happened... Uh, Seven years ago, yeah. I got into meditation first. I took a 21-day meditation challenge online from Deepak Chopra. That inspired me to then do a Google search to learn more on it, and I actually moved into a meditation center to develop my practice. 
Um, I ended up dating the director of the <laughs> space <laughs> who happened to be a yoga teacher and she ended up bringing me to the studio that she was practicing at. I took that first class, it was a guide teacher, and he was just able to like look at me and see my insecurities, my wounds, you know, the things that I, I we don't wanna show pu the public, you know, the society. But he, he was able to see me in that position and I was like, wow, this person is, is interesting and unique and I was attracted to him and so, in that moment, I was like, I want this human to be my teacher, my guide, my, my mentor. And so uh, I told him that, and I accepted everything he said from that point forward. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. How do you think that particular moment in your life, or yoga in general, has impacted your life? Tremendously. I mean, it allowed me to have the confidence to embark on an adventure into the unknown. I think if I didn't have some of the tools um, that yoga presents, uh, I wouldn't be living in Australia right now. I wouldn't have um, packed up my life and, uh, and done this exploring. And so a lot of who I am today is because of the practice of asana movements um, that are related to yoga and also the philosophy of yoga. Um, these have uh, shaped my mind on my life outlook. Wow. Yeah. I love it. And can you touch on some of the benefits of yoga for the listeners, the, the everyday benefits from a beginner right up until a more experienced yogi? More <laughs> of the common benefits. <laughs> wow, what a question. The benefits are so many. Uh, <laughs> But I guess some tangible stuff. I think uh, for modern day life, it's just the ability to, to take time for yourself. You know, rather than getting flexible or stronger, which is what people are coming in for, it's like you're just having this hour that's for you, you know? And you don't have to look at your emails. You don't have to converse with another person. You're just there for you. And so, that's a, a benefit that I think I see happening for a lot of people, you know, that they have this opportunity to just get away for an hour. Yeah. And in this day and age, we're so disconnected from everything with, with gadgets and, and whatnot. We, we, that hour on the mat can be really connecting with our inner self, which I think we neglect a lot these days. For sure. Awesome. Talk to us a little bit more about when you became a yoga teacher. Uh, so traveling with yoga, I guess, um, and when I became a yoga teacher, I became a yoga teacher when my teacher told me I was ready. And then right after that, I contacted a hostel in Mexico and I said, I'm this yoga teacher from San Diego. I would love to go and teach yoga to your guests and if you could provide me with free stay, I would love that. And so that was my first official experience. Yeah. And uh, I, I traveled to Mexico and I taught at that hostel for, for two weeks. And this, and this is a good message for all those teachers who are like trying to find their authenticity, you know? It's like, I just told the students that I didn't know what I was doing. I was like, listen, I'm new to this. Um, this is my limited knowledge. I'm happy to share it. Let's see what happens and try to have fun within this hour. 
And so I remember back then I was mixing like acrobatics with yoga and parkour, whatever experience that I had, I was just sharing. You know, it wasn't this like branded vinyasa that we see now. It was just like, I'm a human being on this journey. This is what I'm experiencing and is inspiring my life. Can I share it with you? Oh, and you've taken your own approach. You haven't followed specifically like a textbook would say, have you? No, never. I, and I've really tried to kind of uh, keep that out of my mindset. Yeah, to really just find my voice. I love it. Yeah. And fasting forward to now, how many countries have you taught yoga in? <laughs> uh, 30 countries now. Wow. And one stand out for you? Um, so this is also an interesting question where they all stand out. And I think, you know, the more you allow yourself to travel the world, you see that um, each country gives you its own unique experience, you know. So I try not to have a favorite. I think my favorite is just that I'm living life and that I get to see the positives and negatives uh, of the whole aspect of things. I'm loving your philosophy and outlook there, Nick. How do you think traveling... Uh, has shaped the way that you teach yoga now so teaching to different countries and different crowds how do you think it shaped you for sure and i think it kind of comes back to this like a uh, textbook outlet um where now i have experiences and stories you know and and one of the things that humans love it's the oldest thing is storytelling and so now i get to um be in front of people and talk to them about my adventure through the mountains in mexico or how I discovered gratitude by hiking the Himalayas, you know? And how when I was in this little shack, uh, I was talking to a woman about happiness because the name of her shack was Always Happy Hotel. So I said, what a beautiful name. And she goes, I hate the name. And I go, why? She goes, how can it be Always Happy Hotel? Sometimes I'm happy. And she says, I wish I named it Sometimes Happy Hotel, <laughs> you know? And so I wouldn't have these. And that's insightful. You know, we, we, we get bombarded with these positive psychology messages where it's like, you got to think positive, you know, always be happy. But then here's this wonderful lady in the Himalayan mountains who lives at the very top, you know, who just says, like, sometimes I'm happy. Sometimes I'm not. And it's so real, you know, and without those adventures, without those travels, I wouldn't have that for myself and I wouldn't be able to share it with other people. Amazing and it's so captivating to hear other people's uh, outlooks on life from the other side of the world which what we perceive as to be perfect yeah. and their outlook is completely different to that. Yeah. I love that Nick. Heading into more mindfulness and being present, how do you remain so present in your day-to-day -day life? I would say I'm present sometimes. <laughs> just to kind of bounce back to the yeah. happiness, right? Like, uh, it'd be amazing to be present all the time. And what I learned through some deep meditation is that it's just natural for your mind to move into another direction, right? You can only acquire so much concentration to be in the now. And you just need to allow that there's going to be times for daydreaming. And daydreaming or being distracted is healthy as well for the mind. Um, so utilizing that framework, um, I think it's, it's a much more flexible and adaptable approach. And I guess to be less philosophical and to answer your question, I try to stay present by just the engagement process. No techniques, 
Just engage. We're having a conversation through this podcast. I'm trying to listen and respond. And it's the same engagement that I would apply to eating my food. I'm trying to taste the food. I'm trying to feel the texture. When I'm listening to music, I'm trying to listen to the complexity of it, the notes, the melodies. In a sense, it's an adventure mindset that keeps me present. Wow. Yeah. And there's some great points for anyone that's listening at home. Definitely give those a try. I know I try when I'm eating to stay in the moment and really taste all the textures so I can digest the food properly. Nick, let's talk more about your 60 day of silence adventure <laughs> with the monk. Tell us about that. That's an awesome achievement and I'd love to hear what, what was happening there. Cheers, buddy. Uh, I would say, one, I didn't jump into 60 days, right? I think some people listening would be like, wow, that's, that's far out, 60 days of silent meditation. Um, this is something that I didn't know that I wanted to do, but I did know that um, meditation would be something a part of my life. And so for the years of my travels, every year I made sure that I went away for at least 10 days of silent meditation. And... Um, it was a priming experience, you know? And when I found this 60 Days of Silence, I was nervous, I was scared, um, but I was ready because I had some experience. And um, the 60 Days of, of Meditation um, transformed my, my mindset, my outlook as well. It brought me to a place of understanding the self, you know? and also understanding that there's a part of us that could be called the non-self, which is our being. And um, I learned a lot about the functions of the mind and how amazing as human beings uh, we are, you know, just our senses. Um, I remember being out there and like walking through the forest and being able to smell the fragrance of a flower that was off in the distance, you know, in this one particular moment, it was almost poetic. And yet the next moment, that scent was gone. You know, I couldn't smell it anymore. And so um, the reason I'm sharing is like, I learned the lesson how things are kind of impermanent. You know, that smell came into my, my nose and I was able to enjoy it but the next moment it wasn't there. So it allowed me to see how the mind functions where we want to attach um, towards things that we like, you know? But also what I learned is like, our senses get dulled when we live inside society. We have, uh, you know, a lot of noise. So our ears have to adapt, right? Our eyes have to adapt to the screens that we're looking at all the time. So all this sensitivity that our fields of perception have get dulled down. So that's why people love nature so much, right? Because all of a sudden your senses as a human being become amplified. You get to experience this like phenomenal um, interaction with your body and the environment. And in the sense, when you're in the city, you kind of have to protect yourself, you know? I agree, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm getting goosebumps from that, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> Take us through some of the emotions that you were feeling from going into day one of the 60 days of silence all the way through. Wicked, I, I really love and appreciate that you asked that question. I would say from, from day one to day 15 to 20, so probably like two weeks in, I struggled. 
it was it was really hard for me to stop uh, thinking about work. Um, and in, in that space, they call it like ideas, planning, scheming. Um, it was just really challenging for me to detach from like the hustle and bustle mindset, all right? And um, after that phase, I started learning uh, new techniques about meditation that I hadn't learned before. And I was also learning about the Burmese culture and their mindset. And so I was struck with this like doubt on the technique Right? I had to like bow down to this statue and stuff, and it was very hard for me at first. You know, it kind of like confronted my ego. Um, one because of like the uh, thick-headedness that I have. <laughs> also, it's like I don't even know. Like I don't even know what this means. Like, what am I bowing down to? You know, like so I, I didn't understand as well. Um, so as I went through that journey, uh, I experienced a lot of doubt, which was which was really kind of. Um, a hard challenge for me. As I progressed, um, luckily I had a teacher that would always check on, uh, check in with me like every three days to ask me how I was doing. Um, and then about a month in, I was able to understand the philosophy, I was able to understand the technique, and I was starting to have more confidence in myself that I could succeed in this technique of meditation. Um, and then I started to discover more of my um, emotions and I remember about a month in I started feeling a lot of pain in my hips and uh, and pain hurts you know and so I remember the first uh, meditation clearly where I just started feeling emotional and by the end of the meditation I just allowed tears to roll down my face and then within that same week another meditation uh, I felt a lot of pain in my body. And so again, I started to cry at the end of the meditation. And this happened about five times where at the end of these meditations, I would just cry. And there was a night that I remember, it was the end of the day. And, and to kind of let the audience know, I was meditating, sitting down about seven hours every day. Oh. And if I wasn't sitting down, I was doing another six or five hours of walking meditation. So there was no stopping of meditation. Um, there I learned that life is meditation. We can meditate on all aspects, you know, how we talked about the eating, how you go to sleep, how you converse with someone. You can meditate all day, every day, yeah? And, um, but to go back to the story, uh, I was meditating, it was, and it was nighttime, and I was, I was just dealing with this immense amount of, of pain within my body, within the hips, and it was so bad that I started to tremble. And I had, um, you know how like fire can burn you, you yeah. know? But this is like one quality of uh, fire. You could also have like ice burn, you know? Yeah. Like so if you're in the snow, you could also have this the sensation of burning, but it's cold. Yes. Yeah. And so I was actually meditating, sitting there and experiencing this ice burn within my body because of the amount of pain, you know? And I was, and I could feel it deep down inside my bones and, and I was just trying to hold my emotions. And the bell rung, all the men, they left the room and I just let go, man. And I just started crying. And it was like one of those cries that I had like probably held since I was a child. You know, 
and even now I'm, I'm kind of getting a little emotional just to like remember that experience and I was just I was just in it and a monk he had heard me and he came down and he and he sat down by me and he was like your mind is unhappy your mind is unhappy and then I told myself this I was like my mind is unhappy and I became so in tune with the experience of unhappiness and I had learned to not avoid unhappiness I just looked at it and by looking at it it wasn't mine you know it was like this thing that was mine it was just this moment in time where unhappiness was arising in my mind and as soon as I realized that you know I stopped crying yeah. it allowed that moment to be and to go you know and this is one of the biggest takeaways that my meditation teacher told me was like, let it be, let it come, let it go. Just like your breath. If you try to hold on to your breath for too long, you're gonna die, you know? Yeah. So the same thing goes with your experiences of life. The same thing goes with your uh, emotions. All right, you're angry, cool. You're in pain, okay. Acknowledge everything see it for what it is but then just let it go yeah yeah dude that's so powerful <laughs> yeah i really appreciate you sharing that with us you mentioned like the 60 days of silence how were you communicating with people were, were you just like looking into people's into people's eyes and knowing what they're saying like paint the picture for us oh so quite the opposite so you're not allowed to look at anybody ah <laughs> you're not allowed to look at another person you're not allowed to talk to anybody and um, the only thing that we're allowed to do is actually just look three feet in front of us down towards the ground. So the only people that we did talk to was uh, the meditation teachers that we met with every two to three days, just to have this kind of like mental check-in on like, are you learning the technique? Are you understanding things? How are you feeling? And was that a verbal conversation? It was a verbal conversation yeah. and it was, a, it was like 10 minutes. And it was a funny experience because I, I remember so, so clearly like learning all these things about myself and like trying to remember them right like oh cool I'm learning this I'm gonna say this to my teacher and then like when you get to that teacher and you want to talk to that person you don't say anything <laughs> that you were thinking about and then I walked out of the 10 minutes I'm like damn I didn't say anything that I wanted to say <laughs> I guess that's what we're doing with the podcast here. We're just traveling wherever the mind takes us and wherever the conversation is leading to us. Yeah. Um, I love it. Nick, that must have been such an amazing experience. And do you think that shaped you into the person you are today? Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess this is now kind of like a conversation on post 60 days, right? Like what, what is it like to then come out of that? And for me, the, it was a big challenge to do the 60 days. Okay, I definitely wouldn't recommend it for people listening to this. I would highly recommend 10 days, you know, and if you feel, you know, ready for something like that, embark on it. Um, but there were monks that had to leave, you know, because it's so challenging. And so the harder part was actually reintegrating with society. You know, I had to start uh, planning again. I had to start scheming again. I had to start the hustle and bustle. And so I think, you know, I had to rediscover 
my passions. I had to rediscover my joy. Um, and that took me months. And luckily, I had an amazing uh, support of students and friends to kind of help me out in that journey. Oh, I actually had nerve damage. Uh, I don't think we ever talked about no, that. No, we didn't. Yeah, so from the amount of sitting that I did, I actually developed uh, nerve damage in my left leg. Oh. So when I came out of the, the retreat and I came to Australia, um, I remember my first class, I couldn't, I, I didn't walk. I actually kind of hobbled and then I just sat down and, uh, and I taught yoga that way. And uh, I got diagnosed and then I got put on Lyrica, which is a pretty strong uh, uh, medication. And it took me months to regain my ability to walk and the flexibility. Yeah. Wow. Talk us through how that impacted your teaching. Like, how did you have to physically, like, verbalize the class to people without movement? Um, you know, for me, it was very humbling because uh, before that, I never had an injury. And I would consider myself to be a fit and strong guy. And so when I came out, and I had that injury and I was interacting with students, it just reminded me of the struggle within a yoga practice. <laughs> and the struggle is real, you know? <laughs> like, I used to be able to touch my toes and then I could only, like, barely touch my knees, wow. you know? So when I look at students now and I see that they're suffering to try and reach for their toes, I understand it, you know? It's hard, it's painful. And so it really changed my approach to to learning how the body functions. So I went into deep research into how to mindfully gain flexibility. The different, there's so many ways to stretch, you know, not just one way. And so I diversified my mind by um, reading tons of books, going into articles, doing proper research, you know. And so I started to teach more of like a therapeutic uh, physical yoga, yeah. Yeah, and I guess having that connection that would enable you to connect with beginners at yoga and touching on that, how what do you think some tips are for, for beginners in yoga? Where do they start? Where do they start? They start by stepping on the mat <laughs> and, and getting the practice in. Um, I think some of the advice that I, I stand true by is remove the like beginner mindset, you know? If you just want to practice yoga then just practice yoga go to a hard class and do that hard class go to a easier class and do that easier class but don't limit yourself on what type of experience you should or shouldn't have just do it all you know and you'll get better and the main thing about all of this is consistency you know and that and that comes down to discipline have the ability to go in every day and do some type of physical movement and then you'll see the benefits of this practice and this is something that we can apply to all aspects of life you know when you do things step by step every day little by little you'll get better at it well yeah and that's sort of steering away going against a grain i should say whereas traditionally you'd go you start as a beginner you go to beginner classes and then you build up to it but I love what you're advising people to do is go try out that harder class and, and find your feet and I think that's a great philosophy that we can adapt to 
do you have any resources for the listeners to to do yoga at home if they're not feeling comfortable enough to go into a class surrounded by people ah for sure you know when i was learning yoga i didn't have the amount of tools that we have now so um i guess basic you could buy books on yoga there's a lot of self-taught uh people um who just learn from books then you know we're lucky that we live in a digital age now so um i actually use allo moves um there's like yoga international um what else is there i mean just google even youtube you know man like uh, if you just youtube uh yoga there are tons of people providing great content to where you can sit at home and do like a free 30 minute session now i would say don't stay there like learn that way but definitely go out and meet a living teacher right because they're going to be able to see your body and help you refine your practice a little bit more um so it's important to have that as well great yeah and i'll have those for uh for you guys in the show notes show notes as well i should say thanks for sharing all that nick i really appreciate your insight and philosophy on not only life but your outlook on yoga as well so how do you make the most of every day do you have any any routines that you do in the morning or, or what what do you do oh man i wish i had like a secret sauce recipe yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i think i'm still trying to discover that man oh, yeah. you know some days i'm so on fire and i'm crushing like all of my goals and then some days i'm like a couch potato you know and that's real isn't it yeah i'm not inspired every day i'm not motivated every day and so um but i do try to have a optimistic mindset you know and try to be uh real and so that keeps me like enjoying the day to day love it and do you have any tips for the listeners that they can do something that you've acquired on your journey for like taking the most out of your day. Yeah. I would say having this adventurous learning mindset. Okay. Right? Like if you want to enjoy your day, then read a book or go to a public class from like a university, you know, like go learn something for a half hour or an hour. Just by doing that one action, you're going to have a better day. I love it. Yeah. That's awesome, dude. I understand now you're going to be doing some yoga retreats this year. Let's talk about those, dude. Tell us about them. Yeah, buddy. Uh I'll be out in Thailand November 9th for a 7-day retreat. I'll be teaching some partner yoga along with meditation and philosophy. I'm co-hosting it with two other mates who are also international yoga teachers, so I'm pretty pumped on it. It's going to be a intimate and like inspiring uh experience for people. Yeah. Awesome. And where can the listeners find details and pricing and things like that? Ah, cool. So they could actually find it on my website, which is my name. Um and my name is n i c k e l i s s e o s .com. Awesome. And I'll have that in the show notes for anyone that's interested. I know Nick's such a powerful person and he's I've only done one class with Nick and <laughs> We've made this awesome connection from that and I learned so much from that one class so definitely worth a looking guys. Nick, what's the main message you're trying to spread for you through your day-to-day life? Ooh, I love this. My main message. You know, I like to rant. So I don't know if I found my <laughs> my main my main thing, 
but um, I would say life is short. Enjoy it. Be happy. Great. That's fantastic. Short and sweet. I love it. <laughs> and you can make your own interpretations on that because it's going to be different for everyone, isn't for it? For sure. I love it. And just to end on, what are you up to now? What are you doing with your day-to-day life? Oh, so I'm actually doing quite a bit. Um, I'm At the end of this month, I'll be publishing a book on how to travel the world as a yoga teacher. Wow. And then I'll be creating an online program that shows the steps to that. So there'll be a book format, then an online program. And then by the end of December, I'll be publishing my travel memoir, which goes more into like the stories rather than like a how-to. Yeah. Um, so if people wanted to learn more about my journey, they could that way. Um, so I'm working on those things right now. Perfect. And I'll be promoting that on social media when Word. it gets launched, dude. <laughs> Just another quick question here, Nick. Do you have any tips for any yoga instructors on how to better their practice and get more out of their, uh, their guests? For yoga teachers? Actually, this, this will probably be a universal message for practice, right? Focus. This is so important. If you want to get flexible... Let's say you have tight hips. Then stop doing a down dog and an up dog and all these other poses. Just work on your hips. Spend a half hour working your hips. If you have tight shoulders, then just work on your shoulders. This is something that's called stacking, right? Stack your practice, condense it. Um, Rather than doing a whole hour of like vinyasa movement, which is this whole body experience, Work on what is hurting you right now. Um, And I think, you know, if teachers and students had this mindset of concentrating their time, energy, and effort, you're going to get to where you want to be so much faster, you know? And so I learned that specifically because I had leg damage. So I didn't worry about my arm strength. I wanted to walk again. So every day, I made sure that I worked my legs until I would walk. That's so powerful. Nick, where can we find you to follow your journey? Yeah, so I think I'm most active on my Instagram. Um, I love chatting with, you know, the followers and uh, the audience or whoever. Um, So they could follow me at Nick Eliseos. So again, my name. And then same thing for my website, for Facebook. It's pretty um, consistent across all social media platforms. So if you're listening to this and you have a question or you got inspired, you just want to say what's up, um, feel free to DM me and uh, love to engage in a conversation. Awesome, Nick. You have such an inspirational story and I know my listeners will be all over it, dude. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Ah, man, thank you for just being here and allowing me to share. Awesome, dude. See you guys. And that's this week's dose of Euphoria. Connect with myself and the Euphoria Health community on Instagram or Facebook at Euphoria Health. Through these channels, you'll find cool workouts, plant-based recipes, and daily challenges. Until next time, guys, I'm your host, Matt Zapala, and remember, don't settle for anything less than Euphoria.